Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Um, I'm Rachel, so it's nice to meet you. Uh, Your your Zoom says um, Lou Harwood. Yes, that was my great-grandmother's name, and so I just use it for all the things. Oh, my God. My son son changed my name to a very unintelligent person. (laughs) Old is he? He's 12, but he okay. did that when he was, he did that when he was 11, when he was, that, you know. Yeah. Not, not as mature as he is now. As he, exactly. But, I um, have three boys, so I'm very, very familiar with the immaturity that happens there. You have three children? I have four children. One of them is a girl. Yes. I know it's, it's wild. I don't know what wow. drugs I was on or why that felt like I don't idea. know. Well, that's bananas. I mean, you don't really look Oh, you really don't look old enough to oh, have four children. thank you. I'm 38, and I started very young. You really did start young, huh? Yeah, because that's what the girls where I come from, that's what that's what we're taught to do. So that's what I did. Wow. Right. That's amazing. I wish I, I wish, I mean, I'm, I'm glad for my one beautiful child, but I would have had a ton more if I could have. I just right. started, I started a bit right. late. Yeah. Really? We all have our own thing, but. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. A 12-year-old boy, regardless of how many other siblings they are, I think is always a good time. And lots of my 12-year-old has every prank, every change the name, every like get to the punchline, what is the joke, like all of that. So That is exactly right. And now he's calling everything a microaggression now. (laughs) He's like, there is no milk. I consider that a microaggression <laughs> against my milk needing needs. <laughs> You're like, did you, you learn a new term? Okay, good job, buddy. Um, <laughs> yeah, good job. That's right. That's right. good. You tell, you tell them. Where are you guys based at? Well, we're in London right now, oh, but we're going okay. back home is Malibu. Oh, um, and how have you been able to navigate back and forth easily? Is that the dumbest question ever? No, not at all. Okay. It's not dumb. This whole, come on, this whole 16 months has just been completely crazy. Absolutely. We've been in, we've been in London since September because Henry said, please, can I go to school? And the schools were open in England and my sister has three kids at school. So we, oh, wow. and tons of people had sort of moved away and they weren't, go- so there were places. So he, yeah. he came and then... My mama died, and so we stayed to all be together, really. Mm, yeah. And we, that's why, and that actually today I just found out he got into the school that my mother went to, that I went to, that my sisters, my aunties, my brothers. Wow. And uh, it's crazy. He, again, he's like self-determining. Like these, I feel like these children have come in with a whole different set of kind of understandings about their interaction with the world and he is just clear about what he wants oh, I and love that. 
I don't know. It's a boarding school, and I don't, I don't know how to let them go. I mean, I just, I, it's an amazing, amazing place. But and now, is it a school where where you can be nearby, or he really has to go yeah. and not see you? He's he's probably gonna want to go and not see me, but he's gonna he's no, he can come home on the weekends. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. at least there's that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's gonna be great. But he did say literally today. I told him that he got into the school and he was so excited. And then he went. Okay, when I visit on the weekends, I know you're going to want all my time, but I'm going to have to see my friends, Mom. So you need to get that into your head now so you can process it by September. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay. Thank you, Coach. Okay. Thank you for I'll that. Get it. I'm I'll good. Get I'll it. take it. I'll take Honestly, it. Honestly, I, um, I got divorced last year, and it was the first time that I spent real time away from my kids because now we split time that so they're with their dad half the week and me half the week and that process of those first like several months where I would just have days where they weren't there and I didn't oh, oh it was the, I know I was the worst I didn't know what to do with myself oh, and uh, the answer for me was a lot of vodka which is not healthy <laughs> but it worked uh, <laughs> and then slowly you just sort of learn the new rhythm did you, I mean, honestly, I've, I've sort of said this, I feel like I've said this a lot recently, but literally the first thing that we do as mothers when we give birth is let go of our child, quite right. literally. Yeah. We, it's, it's grandmothered in to our experience and we can't get away from it. And the whole process of their life seems to be us having to love with like the loosest hands to let them, to keep letting them go and to keep letting them go and to keep being strong so that it's okay for, it's okay for them to, you know, to go, but they always come back. Absolutely. Well, do you, there, you know, there's this whole theory about this idea that we sort of choose our parents as beings Mm. coming into the world. Do you, do you believe in that idea? Yeah, Yeah. me too. Mm -hmm. I never know how much of a hippie the person I'm talking to is. Like, like super crunchy. We made at my school, we made our own cheese. (laughs) There's like crystals all around me. We're going to vibe really well. But have you ever thought about why you think he chose you? Whoa. I think he chose me because I was older and I was definitely wiser. And I definitely, with my whole heart, wanted him with no reservations, even knowing that I was going to be a single parent, like right from the beginning. There was only, I, I think he wanted someone to go on an adventure with. Mm-hmm, and we've yeah. been on this, we've been on this adventure for, since the day that he was born. You know, his middle name is Story. His name is Henry Story. And I mean, genuinely, it's... I think he's just a storyteller. I think that's mm-hmm. what it is. And he chose mm-hmm. he chose me to be that with him. Wow. Yeah. And this is sort of um when he goes to school, is he going into grade seventh, eight? Seventh okay. grade. Yeah. Okay. Okay. He's a he's a September baby. So it was like I had that extra year. He's like September fifth. Yeah. And so he just he stayed playing in the dirt yeah. for another year. Same. My yeah. 12-year-old is September 2nd, so I know exactly what you mean. I yeah, there's I just like that, one yeah. extra year where, yeah. you know. Well, they, has, I he, feel, yeah. has he done the thing yet where all, like, I feel like I look, my son is Sawyer. I looked at him this year and all of a sudden he was just a teenager. Oh, yeah. It, like it, it happened. Just, it happened in real time and we watched yeah. it because we've all been here. Right. Like all together. And me and my boyfriend, who's 
amazing and who loves Henry with all of his heart. We've watched him just, he started doing this, he started doing that thing where he was like, I'd be talking, he'd be like, <laughs> oh, oh, really? Oh, oh, that's so interesting. Oh, I bet you like the sound of your shut own voice. Up. And <laughs> I was, that's what I said. I was like, shut up. Stop it. What? And I was like, where's my sweet smelling little angel gone? It's like, but he is, it is, it's like a new person. Yeah. It's like a new person, but I like this new person and I'm liking getting to know this new person. Uh, forgive me because I didn't do any sort of like setup for this. I just tend no to worries. talk and ask questions and sort of let it go where it goes, if that's okay with you. Yeah, it's fine. Okay. I'm curious, like, um, have you guys always, have you sort of been in one place with him or have you traveled a lot as a, I mean, for your job, yeah. I'm sure you've had to travel a lot. What has that well, felt like? Well, I basically changed my life. Like I stopped, mm. I kind of stopped making movies. And I said to my lovely agent then, you know, just get me, get me the show that shoots in LA. Cause, and can it please be in the Valley? So it's near my house. And it was, it was, it was a, re- a real choice to go. I need, I need to be in a stable. I need to know that I've got money coming in and that I'm going to be able to save money for like his future. And I want to be able to see him. And I did, you know, the last sort of seven years were, were on two different amazing TV shows. And it was, it was a lot of letting go for me of film acting, which does require moving around a lot and stuff that I just wasn't willing to do with him. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I wanted that first bit of his life to be so stable and grounded and friends and soccer and play dates. And it was, it was amazing. And then, and then, you know, I just, I took this leap to, to start my own production company and we've sold a bunch of projects and I'm making things and producing things and I'm writing and making music and doing a podcast and like life is, life is, and doing movies. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. Can I ask just like curiosity, because I also sort of do a lot of different things and I'm always curious how other moms structure their lives around so many moving parts. So how do you, do you sort of batch your work? Like, okay, today I'm going to go in and I'm going to do all the podcasts and then tomorrow I'm going to do the writing. Or are you a bit more of a butterfly that you can kind of go from one to another? It has been Because given that, you know, these circumstances of this past year and my agents were like, okay, you, uh, you are not going to sit around. You're going to write a proposal for a podcast and you're going to write a proposal for a book and you're going to get moving. I have, because it's just been us three, you know, where we, wherever we've been, my boyfriend is unfathomably organized and I definitely, I definitely lent on him to help me sort of organize things, but I'm useless. If I don't have, I need, I need an assistant like to put my pants on. (laughs) Like it's so pathetic. I just, I really, I'm not, I'm not high maintenance, but I am disorganized and unable to manage a calendar. So my, my assistant and my boyfriend and actually Henry, who was tech support on when I first started doing the podcast, you know, uh, he was figuring out the zoom and the mic and the whole deal. So yeah, I basically have other people tell me how to live. (laughs) But I also think that there's some like magic in doing the things that you do really well 
And if your thing is not the organization or the calendar or the be in the, like, that's a beautiful thing to let go. That's, did you always do that? No. Or is that new? Okay. No, but I did. Here's what I did have. Like, I've always known my father, who was, who was a complicated and amazing dude, he said to me, look, really identify what you're not good at because you know what it is that you're good at. And if you can, find someone to help you to do that. Always. Delegate. Always. And so through sort of lean times and the good times, I would always, I always have somehow found people to come in and, and help me with the stuff that I know I don't know how to do. Yeah. Um, because I don't know if you're creative, your brain just, well, my brain just doesn't, it just doesn't work like that. I wish it did. And I know people who are both creative and extraordinarily organized, like my boyfriend, like he's frustratingly sort of perfect. (laughs) Um, How long have you guys been together? Oh, three years. Okay. Okay. So you went through pandemic together. Yeah. How was that experience? It was it was absolutely amazing. Like we just oh, we were we were we were dating. We were dating and we were really happy and we were dating and then when the pandemic hit and we were in LA and I was like, you know, up there in the in the house with the kid and didn't know, you know, we didn't know what was going to go on and I was like, could you just come and stay for a few days just so we like until we get settled and make sure that they're not going to turn the water off and like, you know, stash yeah. the new roll and all the stuff. Yeah. And he did. And he just, you know, he just never left. Oh, I know. It's been really lovely. It's been so I feel like that was such a good test for so many people of how, like, was this real? You know, was it something that was substantive here? Or was this like, were we just sort of messing around and kind of, it wasn't anything? Yeah, no, it's the great, it's been the great leveler without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, I feel like this whole time, this whole time feels... It feels transitory and it feels transformational and it feels mm-hmm. like you have to just hang, you have to hang on and you also have to be fluid and, and let go because it's, I feel like all of the extraneous stuff has been cut away, including the people that I realized you were just sort of, just because you always had. And now mm-hmm. I'm like, no, I don't have, right. I don't have, I don't, everything leaned down. It felt yeah. like all the, un, all the, the tree got heavily trimmed. I am a little worried as we sort of go back into whatever normal is going to be now that we lose what we learned that. And when I say we, I mean, sort of as a community or a society or as a world, we all sort of slowed, we had to slow down and we were more present and we were, and there were so many hard, awful parts of it. And there were also beautiful, sacred, good pieces there. And I feel like there is such a desire to like get back into this, you know, like momentum that we maybe lose some of those things that we were meant to have with us. Well, you know, collectively, we, you know, we can never get everybody to agree on everything, but it's going to, I feel like there's going to be a lot of individuals who, who want to bring with them the things that they learned or the things that they saw from slowing down, the, the, the way in which their life was changed and molded. And then there are going to be people who, who don't want that. But it's, we're changed by this, like fundamentally, right. whether, whether one acknowledges it or not, whether it goes back to being unconscious or it stays conscious, it's different. We've felt what it's like to be powerless against an invisible foe and how to live, you know, how to live in a new, 
in a new way around work, around parenting. I mean, Zoom school. I mean, God bless them, but oh my God. Did you watch your kids like doing Zoom PE? So terrible. So terrible. And not just like for them, but also I have a dear friend who is an athletic director at a school in LA who taught PE. I know. For kids ages like kindergarten to fifth, like on a computer. Bless. Bless them all. It was, oh my god. I mean, really, genuinely, like everybody, everybody just had to like, they had to figure it out. Like there was something... My mother, my mother was just, you know, and she was, it kind of kills me that the last year of her life was like, was spent a lot alone. But my mother, who died at 84, she rode her bike everywhere and all through lockdown. And we spoke every single day. And she spoke for an hour with each of her children. And she would bike along the River Thames and she would look on the map. She has this, had this old map and she would find where green space was. And it was always green space that she'd never been to. And she was in, it was incredible. She was in nature all the time and sort of shielded from us physically, but completely with her. And that is exactly what I feel now Mm. is she's sort of shielded from me, but she's in, she's in everything. Mm. That was beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with me. Oh, that's all right. It's quite hard talking about it without sobbing. I'm sure. I'm sure. But it's good because, you know, there'll be people listening who are going through this too and who don't know how to navigate grief. And, you know, we all, it's a weird club to be part of. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that it comes in so many different forms and so many different ways. And it's this thing that you think you're fine and then you see something or hear something or smell something and it's, an instant and you're back in that space again. Oh yeah. I mean, the British are not known for their public displays of emotion. And when I've sort of fallen to pieces on the street, it's so extraordinary how people just could have like, you know, move their scooter around you and like carry their shopping and sort of look away across the street. <laughs> and I'm just standing there boohooing. And it's it's actually quite good. I felt quite invisible, which is which is not usual. So, um, but I think, but maybe people recognize me and were like, my God, that's mini driver she's having, having a hysterical crying fit. <laughs> we're gonna totally, we're gonna my God, her. what happened? <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like you have always been able to process hard seasons like this? Or is this something you've learned as you've gotten older to like sit with the pain? Well, there have always been hard seasons. As I know, there have been for everybody. Mm-hmm. And I my life has always been peaks and troughs and I did not navigate it well early. And you throw like getting really famous into that when you're quite young. It's totally sort of mind bending. But yes, as I got older and surfed more literally and figuratively, I really learned to ride it. And I really learned to just go, well, you know, there's nothing I can do about this. This is, this is hard and I have yeah. to be in it. And yeah. that whole... You know, that whole Winston Churchill quote of when you're going through hell, keep going. Yeah. Um, and it's just what you have to do, right? Because what's the, what's the alternative? Yes. You crawl right. into bed and we do yeah. that. You know, there are those days where you crawl into bed and you don't get out, but then you have to. You have children. to, especially you if, have you have a, if you have kids. Yeah, you, you have to. There is you a, have to. Yeah. And I think for yourself, even if you, you know, you don't have children, I know how desperately you know, sad it is to be alone and to be depressed. But you, that notion of 
getting up and putting the radio on, which is what we do in London, because the radio here is awesome. I, and, you know what's interesting is so my boyfriend is born and raised in London, and I know this about your radio because <laughs> he is constantly listening to it, and it is so different than what happens here in the U.S., mm. so I will, I will affirm this. I wish I could remember the name of the station he's always listening to because I feel like I'd be cool. Oh, I'd love to know. We've got, I mean, we've, we've been finding some gems, but I've always, (laughs) you know, again, my, my dad was like, my dad suffered from depression and all the way through his life. And he, he said that just the mere, the action of getting up and getting dressed and putting the radio on and eating breakfast, he was like, it was just sort of, you do, you just do small things and you just do them one after another and you kind of, yeah. you get through it. And if those, and if it breaks down, then you let it break down and then you pick it up and you carry on. I mean, that's also said, quite British, isn't it? But No, no. I mean, I feel like that is, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. That is, yeah. you just, you're making the next right move, right? What's the next right thing for me to do in this moment? And sometimes it is turn the radio on and sometimes it is go back to bed. Yeah, I'm going to exactly. try again tomorrow. Like, and like, I think that the older I get, the more I've learned to listen to what I need of myself yeah. in that moment. But I am a hundred percent with you. I feel like the, that going through those routines or those rituals to try and sort of get yourself into the motion of like, okay, and now, especially as a mom, especially as a mom, because I, they're counting exactly. on you. Yeah. They are. And then seeing you, God, I mean, there've been some moments you know, in these past two months where Henry has seen me in such a state. But I've always tried to, you know, when the school has kind of passed, really talk to him about that grief is an extension and an expression of love. Like that's what it is. And don't be frightened by feeling, don't be frightened by pain and sadness. And if he sees it passing, he sees you sort of, he, I guess he sees me allowing it and then it passing, and then you kind of coming back to yourself. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I, I was just saying this earlier to a lovely friend of mine, but they should teach, they should teach this in schools. Like they yes. should teach, they should te- teach kids about, we should talk about death, we should talk about grief, we should talk about that it's a moving journey and that it's not this terrifying thing that we don't talk about and we just pray never happens to someone that we love, but it's like, it's gonna, it's gonna happen. And I yeah. feel like we should talk about it. You said something earlier that I want to make sure I come back to because it's such an interesting thing I hadn't thought of is how old were you when you started your career as an actress? Uh, Well, you know, my parents would say like right out of the womb. You just came out tab dancing? (laughs) I came out with jazz hands. (laughs) Jazz hands first. I mean, really seriously, like by six by six years old, I was like writing and performing things, things that I'd written, poems that I'd written. I just, I wanted an audience. Like I lo- I just, not, I didn't need it. I just liked it. And it's yeah. still that way. I don't, I don't need it. I'm super like lone wolfy. Like it's not, it's all good. I don't, I don't need to be in a big crowd of people, but boy, I do. I love an audience. <laughs> when did you start doing it professionally? Uh, well, I went to drama school. I went to a conservatory, you know, I studied acting and music and then it was kind of crickets. And then I got, I think I got my first job when I was 22. Which was? It was TV. 
Yeah, I oh, did Circle TV, of Friends. Okay. I did I did I did TV in England. Yeah, I played numerous characters on long running soap operas here. And, oh really? Um, How oh, yeah. fun. Super fun. <laughs> Hilarious. Like I thought it was the just the best thing ever. It was the mo- it's exactly what you're supposed to when you're twenty, being an actor is I think it's the greatest thing ever. If you're lucky enough to be employed. Because you're just fancy free. You yeah. go anywhere. And, and was Circle of Friends the first like big yeah, people know I your was, face? Okay. Yeah, I was twenty three. Was twenty three when I when 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 that came out. And it was it was surprising. Like I didn't mean to move to New York and I I like went for a weekend before the like the movie had some screenings and stuff and there was like some buzz about it and I went to I went to New York and my agent was like, Well, you should probably meet with some casting directors while you're there and I was like, Oh, okay. And then I went in and met this amazing casting director called Ellen Lewis and these guys were having a big fight in the room next door and she had to excuse herself from the meeting and go and tell them to shut up when I could hear her yelling at them the next door and then it sort of went silent and then she came back in and she was like, meet these directors. And I was like, sure, you know, I got my good shoes on. And I went in there and like, I get Mary Louise Parker just dropped out of this movie and they were starting shooting in like two days. And I don't know why they gave me the part. I was, I was so English and I was playing like, you know, an American but I did that right there for them in the room. I was like, you're probably wanting to know if I can do an American accent. I just should probably tell you that I can. So <laughs> what do you want me to say? <laughs> I think they just thought I was, it was really funny and weird. And they didn't know me, but they maybe heard about this film. Anyway, they cast me in this film. And I just, I never, I never, I didn't go home for two, two years. Wow. That yeah. was incredible. I was, was thinking amazing. today, like I had seen your name on the calendar for a while and that was exciting and a fun conversation we we're going to have. And then a couple of hours ago, I'm like, man, I, as a teenager, watched Circle of Friends 150 times. Like Aww. there, I mean, I, I hadn't thought about that in a really long time. Like I had it on a VHS tape. Um, there was remember there was a time where we yeah, just had like 10 tapes and you just watched them over, over and, and over and over. Mm-hmm. It was such like it's such a specific memory in my life. How did was it sort of like night and day like you do this movie and then all of a sudden everything flips and changes or did it feel yeah. like yeah. Yeah, no, it did. It was crazy cuz oh my god, it was so cuz it was so fun making it and it was like so good. just just amazing friends. Alan Cumming and I had made short films together before that. You know, we've gone on to make a few other films together. Colin Firth and I had been in a play for a year. That was one of my prof- first professional jobs, the year before Circle of Friends. So we had this great time. You know, and I was, I, I, I put on quite a lot of weight for the, I, I mean, I was quite, I was bigger to start with, but then I put on quite a lot of weight to play, you know, this, this character, um, this gorgeous, this gorgeous girl. By the time the movie came out, you know, I'd had, I'd had strep throat, like I'd been really poor, I had no money for food, you know, lived on coffee and the odd croissant. I'd lost a lot of weight. So the the movie comes out and like, you know, my agent's now like, wow, I think you should probably go to Los Angeles and meet some casting directors. And I was like, okay. So I I go and like, people thought it was a, a magic trick. Like they give it, they give Oscars to the dudes when they, when they do this, they put on the weight and then they come in. But for women, like these people could not believe that the, the sort of plainer, sweet, round-faced, moon-faced, 
chunky, lovely Irish girl was now, you know, this chick who was sort of like standing there, like quite sort of tall and gangly. <laughs> no, you've said this a couple of times. You sort of walk into the room like, oh, okay, I'll go meet casting directors. Are you, at, were you always very chill about this process? Yeah, no, I mean, it, n- nerves, nerves. I think I learned, we, I did so many plays at school. And so I was it really, it was in front of an audience so often and learned to turn those nerves into, into like this, into the part of the whole deal, like part of the passion. And I didn't mean that there wasn't sometimes a, a bucket. There's still, when I last did a play, I had a bucket at the side of the stage and I would throw up every night before I'd go on. No. However, <laughs> you do that and then you use, you use all of that stuff like rocket fuel. So it's kind of, mm. it's the cow, you know, which is, I think that's the secret to life is that it's counterintuitive and the things that you think you're frightened of and that are deemed in quotes painful are actually the things that if you, if you, the way that you belly up to them describes what your interaction with them is going to be. And you can use them. You can use those things. And again, I don't think enough people tell you that, like use the things that make you scared, use the things that you would rather discard. Meaning like, are you taking that feeling of nervousness or anxiety and sort of flipping it and making it like, okay, I'm going to use this and feel it as excitement. Like, are you That's changing exactly the narrative? It. Okay. That okay. is exactly it. It was, that was exactly it. It was like, I started to call it something different. Mm. I started to literally call it something different. I am excited. Wow. And that's that whole wow. sort of you, if you, it's you, it, you're right. It becomes your narrative. It's what you say, like what you say, I think will become reality if you say it enough. Mm-hmm. I think there's some latitude with that because I get scared when I sort of go, you know, say something terrible. I'm like, oh no, I don't want that to happen. <laughs> I think there's, I think there's, I think there's like a period, a grace period. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think I just, I think that that's the, I started calling it something different and it became yeah. something different. And then yeah. it was stopped. It was, it was exciting. I loved walking into those rooms and particularly if people were dismissive or underestimated me, I really enjoyed making them sit up and listen. What has it taken for you to still, you know, after this incredible career and all these years practicing this craft to still be doing a play where you're getting so excited that you're throwing up before you get on stage? (laughs) Like, I feel like so many people would kind of not care that much anymore or would have sort of let that go. Well, that was, it was a few years ago now to tell you the truth, like when I did a play. So I was like, I was 35 and I'm 51 now. So it was a while back. God, it was so long ago. I can't believe it. But however, I feel, I put it in the category of peaks and troughs. Like stuff like that just won't make me give up. Mm -hmm. Like there is a period of feeling a bit beaten by it. And certainly when you, for me, when you, when you don't, when I don't have work or if when I didn't have work, because now I got a lot of work, but it's, even then it was like, you have to hold your course. You just, you have to hold, you have to hold the line, you know, the line between you and your creativity and what it is you want to do. And you can't Mm -hmm. zigzag across it, following or worrying about whether other people are doing better than you or whether there's something you should be doing. It's like, be where you are and, and keep your eye on where it is you want to go. What have you learned about success after all this time? that I have a very different barometer for it than I did when I was mm. much younger, when I yeah. was in my 20s and when I was really, you know, when I was back when I was famous. 
I, I, <laughs> no, I didn't really mean that. Like it was, I really thought that it was, it was so tied to whether things were, were deemed successful by everybody else. And that is just, that, that just changes. It changes, it changed fundamentally to be in a profession where it's so much about people allowing you to work. You have to get hired by other people. You're processed by an editor, by the composer, by the director, by the producers, by the studio to really just decide to be the arbiter of what you think success is mm -hmm. and allow it to be smaller than you or, you know, bigger than yeah. you thought it could be. I mean, my life expanded exponentially after I had Henry. Like it really, it really, really did. And the joy in, in, in something other than work was miraculous. When you start new projects, because you have so many in the works now, you have the podcast and you're doing all of these things. Do you set intentions for each of those projects individually and say like, this is what success looks like to me for this particular thing? Yeah, I do. And then I have like, I have like an overview with the moon, <laughs> with the moon cycles. I definitely, you know, like on, I'm definitely setting my intentions on a new moon and on yes. a full moon. I'm definitely identifying what it is I want to let go of. Let go. Absolutely. I, man, we are, I'm so here for this. <laughs> Literally my boy, my boyfriend is, he's just going to roll his eyes. And so is my son when they hear, they're like, you talked about the moon on the podcast. Is that something that has always been a part of your life, sort of understanding nature and cycles and all of that? Or is that newer as you've gotten older? Yeah, no, it definitely was always, it was always there. I mean, I started noticing really young that I would go bananas on a full moon. Mm -hmm. And then there was, and, and particularly like, golly, I've never said any of this out loud to anybody really before, except the people that really truly know me. But the moon in alignment with astrology and really, mm -hmm. really understanding, I guess in a kind of almanac way, not in a, a, a tall, dark stranger, or you're going to yeah. get a million dollars, but in this, in this idea of cycles and this idea of moving through things and the kinds of things that happen when, you know, you have a full moon in Scorpio, if your moon is in Scorpio, which mm -hmm. mine is like, that's, that's some heavy shit right there. Absolutely. And I, I, you know, I started reading books when I was, what? Chelsea just <laughs> said mine too. Oh yeah, Chelsea and I are totally <laughs> witches. We are here for this. We By the way, so that's what my this. boyfriend calls me. He calls me the witch. And oh, it's, yeah. I want to I reclaim that word. Yes. 100%. I just, I love, I love, love that word. Yeah. And between the crystals and the moon and the paying attention to these cycles, I don't know, I feel like it's also helped me so much with, my mom's death is this resting in in the in the notion of a cycle and the idea that that whatever you think is an ending it that also heralds a beginning mm -hmm. it just has to they are Absolutely. they they are both part of the same nucleus to me yeah and and the moon affirms that yeah. and watching you know i'm i'm a big swimmer and a surfer and watching what it does to the tide and mm -hmm. how animals behave around that time like it's it it like it's it's great. It makes me feel part of something. Well, I mm. think if 
you study, if we study the history of the word witch or where that starts to come into being, it's always surrounding women who had some sort of power, meaning like understood how herbs worked, understood how to um, help another woman uh, give birth, Uh, like all of these things that that then became, you are a woman who has power and that must be evil and wrong. And so let's do everything we can to separate you from that power and make you feel fear around this. So there's so much, I think that we still have to unpack and reclaim as far as that's concerned through every, every single culture and generation, this goes back ages. And it's so upsetting when you read the history of like how much we've been separated from this thing that should be really intuitive and natural to us. Definitely. And allowed. Mm -hmm. But I mean, if you look at just the fact that this has been I mean, not always. There have been matriarchal societies, but it's sort of fundamentally most of the time been run by the dudes. Yep. If I were a dude and I saw this person who could grow a person inside them, I would be fucking scared. <laughs> I I would be scared and I would go, that shit is bananas and we got to rein it in. We got to yep. shove that down and we got right. to be, be the master of that. Because it's because I think it was terrifying. Mm-hmm. I think that power and I and women, you know, we agreed because we didn't really have much choice. You know, I think it, it took us it took us a long time to unwind to unwind that and to take to take back that power. I mean, God knows we're still doing it. It's not like it's all it's not like it's all done. I mean, right? Have you seen the Senate? <laughs> right, right. If you're if someone's listening to this and they're they're wanting to understand this better or they're wanting let's say let's just start with the moon cycle which is a really powerful thing to understand would you have any advice for anybody who's listening about where to begin to learn about our connection to nature as women and how this plays out for us and like where where do you even begin take your shoes off and go and walk outside like go for a walk go for right. a walk if you can find green space go to a park take your shoes off and feel the dirt underneath your feet go and jump in the ocean go and watch it sit and watch a tree <laughs> sit and look at that you know there's an there's a, there's an amazing instagram account called spirit daughter that i am so crazy about she is it is she 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 has a full moon bo- book that is published every full moon and you can order it online or you can you can get the physical thing or you can look at it online and she has a new moon one as well and it's it's amazing and for anyone who really wanted to have a resource i would definitely say go and check that out but connecting with nature is about getting out and being in it and feeling yourself in it I, I think. like that and I, I'm like I'm such a nerd so I'm like yes literally before <laughs> we started this I went I'm barefoot right now and I went and stood on the lawn because I was like all right we're gonna get centered we're transitioning from the work of this morning to getting to talk to many and we want to be yeah. present for this and so I'm a hippie and a witch, and I'm nodding with you. I love that <laughs> advice. It seems simple, but I think so much of the ability to connect is always about slowing down and being present in the moment that you're in and sort of like feeling the earth beneath your feet. So I love that advice. And you Definitely. said spirit daughter. I'm gonna, yes. Right. I'm writing this yeah. down for myself. You're going to love it. You're going to, I order the workbook. It's so, okay. it's amazing. I it's absolutely amazing. will. Okay. I'm doing and that. there's a solar eclipse on the, on this week. On the right. That's right. I yeah. forgot about that. That feels okay. We've got, we've got some homework that we need to do. Yeah, um, exactly. I have led us in 27 different directions, none of which were what we were actually meant to talk about today. And I'm so grateful <laughs> for the time 
to connect with you. <laughs> Thank um, you, It's Rachel. been such a treat to, to be able to chat and just hear what you're doing and what life feels like for you right now. And I know you're launching a podcast before I let you yeah. go. Tell us a little yeah. bit about that. Yeah, it's, um, it's called Many Questions and you can listen to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I've always loved Marcel Proust, the great French author. He wrote this questionnaire that was like a parlor game back in the 19th century. And it was a, a bunch of different questions that were meant to just be revealing about a person, a person. And so what I did was create a redux version of that. And it's the same, I ask the same seven questions to this variety of different people. Everyone from Tony Blair to Dave Grohl has. Wow. And it, and it's fascinating where I think it will, you know, a question like, what would be your last meal? That, that, that could just be about the food, but how for some people it triggers something that takes them into a journey back into their childhood or wherever it was, or like, it, it, it's, it's amazing. So the questions are just triggers. I like the discipline. I like the discipline of it as well, because I'm quite wayward. So I think that the discipline of that, and it's been completely amazing just talking to people. I bet. I bet. Well, we're excited to listen. Um, I'm telling everybody you can subscribe anywhere you get your podcast and then are yeah, you or on the iHeartRadio app oh, right, um, or, right. or on or but wherever Apple Spotify you know all the usual places all the usual suspects yeah and then are you on social and if so what's your favorite platform for people to follow you you know I'm on Twitter and I'm on Instagram and I've been more Instagramming than Twittering recently but I really I really enjoy I really enjoy both those both those mediums. I love, I actually love Instagram. Yeah. You know, I'm just going to say it. I don't, I don't care. People try and, people try and diss it, but I don't, I don't, I like it. Right. I feel like it's all about who you're following. And if you're following it, it things to- that it totally is. your spirit totally. and beautiful and make you happy, it's such an incredible tool. Totally. I enjoy, I enjoy what the algorithm thinks I want to buy as well. <laughs> right. Like, ah. Right. I don't, I don't need those. I don't need those weird slippers. I, see, that look like I a dog. feel like I, I feel like the algorithm has me really well. I will. I'm like, oh, I do need that matching jumpsuit <laughs> right now. I bought so many swimsuits. Like you should never buy a swimsuit. Like who buys a swimsuit without trying it on? I buy swimsuits from yeah. the algorithm. Yeah, that feels. Yeah. Has any have any of them yeah. actually worked? Oh, totally. The algorithm knows my body. Oh, it, it knows your body. It knows what you yeah. need. <laughs> and, on, and on that note, hey, I honestly, I super have appreciated the time. I'm so Thank grateful that I got Rachel. to hang out with you. And I hope that someday when this pandemic is over, we get to meet each other in real life. I'll come and have a full moon dinner with you. Please do. Yes, oh my gosh. I love it. Okay. Right, Thank have you, Have a Rachel. good day. Have a good See week. You. Bye-bye. Bye. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is hosted by me, Rachel Hollis. Our show is produced by Chelsea Harfouche and edited by Andrew Weller with additional production support by Sterling Coates. Our executive producer is Cameron Berkman. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is a 3% chance production.